It's very typical of the scientific progress. When it first breaks, we kind of discount it and they get thrown out. And then we kind of go back and go, whoa, this person was actually onto it. Well, that was Weston A. Price. If you look at the sequela of what happened after he published compared to what we took in terms of his recommendations, you can see what happens when we ignore these recommendations. And we're really moving back towards Price now. There's just, right. a, I think, big step it needed to understand that malocclusion and crooked teeth is caused by diet. And that's what I really hope to get through in my book and you know what I really try and advocate. You're listening to Muscle Medicine, where we debunk the myths in the health and wellness world to bring you the latest updates in exercise, rehab, and nutrition from industry leaders. Join your host, Dr. Emily Kybert, chiropractor and movement expert, as she brings you simple, actionable tips to reach your fullest potential. Dr. Steven Lin is a world-leading functional dentist, TEDx speaker, and author of the international number one Amazon best-selling book, The Dental Diet. He's passionate about preventative whole health advocacy, and Dr. Lin focuses on the understanding of dental disease through nutritional principles. His work was highlighted that crooked teeth and the orthodontic epidemic are a diet-based problem and that it needs to be a public health policy to prevent braces in the next generation of children. We all know braces and crooked teeth are an epidemic, but did you know that this can affect our breathing, our mental clarity, our performance with poor nutrition as a kid at the root cause? We chat about being tongue-tied and how he took a break from traditional dentistry and how he found what he now calls functional dentistry and how your mouth and tongue should be at rest and why. Steven is a wealth of information, super accessible, has a fun Australian accent. Can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about this episode. If you love it, go to iTunes, Muscle Medicine, rate and review, drop a comment in. We're going to start featuring some comments on the show and enjoy this episode, guys. All right, Stephen, I'm so excited to have you on. I met you at Summit LA and I've been following your work for a while. You have this amazing book, The Dental Diet, and you have this really incredible practice where you're teaching people how to understand the relationship between their mouth, healthy eating, and how that affects the rest of their lives. Hey, Emily, thanks for having me. Yeah, and it was great meeting you. And, you know, we've been in this space for a little bit where we're looking at, you know, how people can really optimize their health by, by understanding their body better. And, you know, it all starts in the mouth. It's, it's pretty remarkable how much you can do just by understanding the mouth. Yeah. So when I think, and I think when most people think of dentists, they think, okay, cavities, they don't think of prevention and they don't think of diet. What kind of brought you into this world of nutrition meets teeth? Yeah, like I think the idea of prevention in dental is we've really kind of thought that, you know, that's brushing and flossing and um, you know, that's a very superficial, they're important, but it's a very superficial way to look at it. And my kind of path into that was really a big change in my life. You know, I was actually, you know, into my practicing career as a dentist and I was wondering whether I could really spend my life drilling and filling teeth. I was actually so disillusioned to the point where I took some time off work. I went traveling in Europe and I was in a hostel in uh, Turkey 
where there was a shared reading shelf and I kind of like it was a hot day. I thought I'll grab a book just to flick through. And there was a book called Nutrition and Physical Degeneration by Weston A. Price. And what caught my eye is it said DDS. Now I was taking a hole there to get away from dentistry, but it really kind of, you know, just sparked my interest. And so I picked it up and it was this strange book from this guy from the 30s or this dentist in the 30s who went around the world with the theory that all food caused dental disease. And he went to 14 cultures where the traditional diet is intercepted by the modern diet. And it really kind of like, I looked at it, I was like, wow, what is this? And then I kind of flicked it and I kind of discounted it because my training, you know, my seven years of professional training told me that, that it couldn't be true. And I was like very skeptical to begin with. So I kind of put it in my bag and went away and I, I went back to practice and eventually I went back to it. And what I realized was Western Air Price had written something that we don't understand today. And he talked about crooked teeth and the dietary cause of crooked teeth, why kids need braces today. It was all there. I just didn't understand it. And then once I realized that, it really started my path to understanding what Price had laid down and what the implications were. And then I was seeing it all the time in my practice. And it was this huge missing piece. And it led me down the road to write The Dental Diet and really integrate functional medicine and nutritional principles into my dental practice. So you're saying they don't teach nutrition in dental school? Well, not the kind of nutrition <laughs> Price was talking about. Yeah, like one thing about dentists, right, is you, you've got to give us kudos because we've been telling people not to eat sugar for decades, right? That's and, right. Uh, yeah, and everyone thought it only affects your teeth, but no, it doesn't. It also has a metabolic effect. So that's kind of where dentists were a little bit ahead of the curve. But the problem is we not connected that conversation effectively. And so there is a lot to do with nutrition that needs to be understood and designed on the oral cavity. And that's really what Price is talking about. And there's a lot, it's a very different model of nutrition and understanding the physiology of the body, understanding the mouth. And that's really what discovering Price's work led me into. And it's fantastically simple when you understand the mouth and body as a way that is the best sign to see if you're eating the right food. It makes complete sense, right? Your teeth are going to be healthy. There's no way you're going to have dental disease and really be you know, healthy elsewhere as well. Right. So Price did this research, wrote a book in the early 1900s, like almost 100 years ago. How come we didn't know about this sooner, that like nutrition affects your dental health? Price was a famous guy in his time. He founded the research arm of the American Dental Association. He wrote a lot of big papers early and nutrition and physical degeneration was his kind of apex work. He published it and there was a couple of issues that happened to Price, I think. Some of his other work got discredited. He was actually a big advocate against root canal treatment and that's, mm-hmm. if you see the kind of literature out there advising against it, it's based on his work. But that was discounted. That was actual general practice in dentistry for about two or three decades early in the 1900s. Then it was discounted and thrown out, so Price's reputation suffered from that. And nutrition and physical degeneration, he had mixed reviews with it. It was very controversial and it was very left to center. It was outside not what we would normally call you know, scientific research. And the issue was is that Price identified three nutrients in food that created teeth that were immune to dental decay, that created jaws that grew, that fit all the 32 teeth without any impact of wisdom teeth or crooked teeth for braces. 
And what were those three things? He named two. He named vitamin A, vitamin D, and he, he said there's another one called Activator X. And he actually never identified what Activator X was. And so he died 10 years later in 1948. And his work was kind of lost. And if you look at the context of it now, you know, there was a whole movement towards surgery and treatment-based medicine. You know, antibiotics had just come up. Then you had Price's work, which was this other side of the philosophical kind of spectrum. And it went the other way, you know, and we kind of went decades going forth without really understanding what Price had said. Then it was all reprinted in 99 by the Western A. Price Foundation and Sally Fallon. Ten years later, a guy named Chris Masterjohn, a biochemist in Brooklyn, he connected to Price's work and he looked at all this research on these nutrients and vitamin K and fat-soluble vitamins in Japan and Eastern Europe. And then he realized that there are different types of vitamin K that we don't really get taught in Western medicine. And they're called a set of nutrients called menaquinones. And the vitamin K1 that we're told about are, are philoquinones. And that comes from green vegetables, spinaches and whatnot. But menaquinones are a different set of nutrients. And it turned out that menaquinones work alongside vitamin D to carry calcium into bones. And this then all seemed to start to tie in what Price was saying, that vitamin D, vitamin A, vitamin K2 or activated X all works together. Mm-hmm. And the piece of the puzzle fit together. Vitamin K2 is now approved by the Japanese health ministry as an osteoporosis medication. We just don't get told it here. So the whole story of price was, you know, it's very typical of the scientific progress. When it first breaks, we kind of discount it and they get thrown out. And then we kind of go back and go, well, this person was actually onto it. Well, that was Western A. Price. If you look at the sequela of what happened after he published compared to what we took in terms of his recommendations, you can see what happens when we ignore these recommendations. And we're really moving back towards price now. There's just, right. a, I think, big step needed to understand that malocclusion and crooked teeth is caused by diet. And that's what I really hope to get through in my book and you know, what I really yeah. try and advocate. So what are the exact things that you find that reflect a poor diet? It happens on a lot of different levels. So well, let's frame three types of dental disease. So Let's say bleeding gums. So if you've got bleeding gums, when you brush and floss, the mouth is the extension of the digestive system. So that shows that the oral microbiome or the beating of the gut, you swallow thousands of bacteria every second. And so your mouth really is an extension of the digestive system. And if you're showing signs of inflammation, then that really is the first signs of leaky gut or intestinal permeability or dysbiosis. So you get imbalance in the mouth. And then what happens is it translates through the body. Now, so bleeding didn't... gums is not just bleeding gums. Bleeding gums is really like you have leaky gut. Yeah, well, it, it's probably the first signs of leaky gut. Yeah, so leaky yeah. gut is probably it's, so it's the first signs of inflammation. And one of the sure fire signs you've got leaky gut is if you have periodontal disease, and that's where the bones are running away, and that's where the gums are receding. And that really shows that the immune response and the permeability areas in the gum really are the same as the gut. In your gums, you get pockets. In your digestive system, you get the same thing. You get plaque buildups. Eventually, it creates an area that is permeable, and then you get the loss of barrier function. That's what gum disease is. That's what leaky gut is, and we've really not seen that, and it aligns with autoimmune conditions and the same profile. We just have classified it differently. So receding gum line, 
not just from like a crooked bite, but from like true periodontal disease? So receding gums, a lot of people have it because they brush too hard. There's the trauma side of it, but then the most common side is due to imbalance of the microbiome and then recession of the gums as a part of that. And the other factor to that is that the bones, when you're losing the bone support of the teeth, it's a good sign that your body isn't managing calcium, which means you don't have those nutrients, vitamins A, D, and K2 to keep those bones strong. So it's a defense system as well. What's like the second category? If you're not the eating well, how it presents in your teeth? Well, tooth decay. And, and it's very similar to when we have calcium imbalance in the body. But if we think about what really causes tooth decay, we, we've thought about just brushing the teeth and the plaque film on the tooth really is just scraping the surface of what's happening physiologically. Now, inside the tooth, we have odontoblasts, which are those immune cells that cause an immune reaction to harmful bacteria that are creeping down the tubules of the teeth. What happens is that immune reaction, if they've got enough fat-soluble vitamins, so they're part of the osteoimmune system, and so it's like feeding, they come out of your stem cells and they either become immune cells or bone cells, and these are special types of cells called odontoblasts that sit inside the pulp of your tooth. And so they have the ability to repair the tooth, but they also have the ability to completely make the tooth immune to tooth decay. So that's a sign, tooth decay is a sign that you don't have enough of those nutrients. It's also a sign that your oral microbiome is imbalanced. And so we're talking about that swallowing and that inflammation. Once you have enough substrate, which is the simple sugars, in the mouth we have the bugs that cause disease and then they start to basically eat away. It's, and it's actually a loss of the balance of calcium. And so the plaque in your teeth actually will be transferring calcium in and out of the saliva. The bacteria do that. That's what they actually studies on the oral microbiome show. And then when you lose the balance of those microbes, they actually go into the teeth to, to pull calcium out. And that's what tooth decay is. And so when you have, lose the balance of the microbiome and when you don't feed the nutrients to the defense system inside the tooth, then you get tooth decay. And that's a very similar process, again, to conditions all throughout the digestive system. And then the third is crooked teeth. And this is a development issue, but it flows on throughout life in how it affects our breathing because the smile or, or straight teeth, they have a foundation they need to sit in. That foundation are the upper and lower jawbone. So when you have crooked teeth, you're actually showing signs that your upper and lower jawbones are underdeveloped. And so when your maxilla, for instance, is underdeveloped, your nasal airways are underdeveloped. And when your mandible is underdeveloped, your oropharyngeal airways are underdeveloped. And so that inhibits your ability to breathe. And so what we see today is that people have conditions like sleep apnea and upper airway resistance syndrome, or we just don't breathe well because our bony architecture doesn't work the way it's designed to. And if you don't know how to breathe properly through your nose, and if you can't because your bony architecture and then your soft tissue posture doesn't allow you to, then you do suffer from a very common set of symptoms. It aligns very much to functional somatic syndrome, bad sleep. It's called upper airway resistance syndrome. Mm -hmm. And so that is all a flow down effect of crooked teeth. And so this is price, what Price is talking about, and it basically underlies every chronic disease mechanism we have in society today, and you can extrapolate it all from the mouth. Like I feel as though uh, crooked teeth is an epidemic. Like I feel like every single person I knew when I was in high school and middle school had braces or 
now as adults, you see Invisalign everywhere, but you're saying really this is developmental when we were younger. You're feeling absolutely correct. And we are absolutely in an epidemic of crooked teeth. And it's, it's actually not crooked teeth. It's incorrect craniofacial growth. And Price spoke about how ancient cultures would treasure nutrients for a, um, an expecting couple because they said they would have a, a baby with a nice round head. That's how they looked at it. And the beauty of that is that they were showing that the kid had well-developed craniofacial system, that their jaw was developed. If you look at babies today, you see chins that are set back a long way. And, and we say, oh, well, that's what happens because they have to breastfeed. So no, 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 no. That, if you look anthropologically, and this goes for all human records, you don't see dental disease. You see babies with nice forward chins. You see people with huge palates and jaws that fit 32 teeth, including wisdom teeth. And it's only really in the last archaeological instant that we start to, we start to experience this. So the agricultural revolution 12,000 years ago, then the industrial revolution where it really starts to pick up. Darwin noted that one of his oral surgeons said that, well, you know, the humans seem to lose the ability to grow wisdom teeth once they, they jump into civilization. It's like, yep, so that's jaw growth. A guy named Robert Coraccini did hundreds of studies on the basis of, of malocclusion in society and animals from people that move, live in rural versus cities. So, you know, there's no doubt that we cause malocclusion and malocclusion is a chronic disease process. But yeah, we just don't understand it in that way. We just go and recorrect it. And it's crazy how we've missed it. So it sounds like we're evolutionarily literally growing smaller mouths that can't fit all our teeth, creating a breathing problem and creating this, this braces orthodontic epidemic. And it's directly from nutrition is what you're saying. That's exact, that is exactly right. And what we do now, and this is what I call functional dentistry, we actually have the ability now to correct all of this in the dental practice. When you say evolutionarily, it's the opposite spectrum of that. You know, we're in a breathing epidemic. And so you know, the next step is it, there is no next step. When you can't breathe, you're finished. And you know, I see kids today you know, with these tiny jaws that have sleep apnea and all of these issues. And it's a, such an alarming problem that we've just completely misunderstood that we were warned about in the 30s by a guy that you know, spotted it all before it happened. We have the ability to reverse that. We missed that, but now what we do understand is we know how to intervene in the craniofacial system. We can uh, prevent braces in kids by growing them and, and correcting the lack of nutrients, the balance in the digestive system, the functional issues with the tongue. The tongue actually, so there's an area of dentistry called myofunctional orthodontics and therapy that teaches people to breathe through the nose. And when you do it in kids, their teeth straighten naturally because you balance the forces of the mouth and the jaw grows. It's, it's like magic. So if your child is a mouth breather, so like my baby when he was under two years old was a mouth breather and he was snoring. And I'm thinking, you literally just like came out of the womb. How are you already snoring? That is not normal. That is not normal. And it should be very alarming for parents. You know, don't panic, but you should be thinking that there is an issue there that is causing resistance in that child's airway that we need to find. It can be that they don't breathe through the nose. They don't understand how to breathe through the nose. Their tongue should be up to the palate. And so if they're tongue-tied, which they should be checked for as soon as they're born. And it's law now in Brazil for this for every child to be checked for tongue-tie. Mm. Um, and, and every parent should get, them, get their child checked for tongue-tie. Because when a, a kid is tongue-tied, depending on how the tongue is restricted, 
what happens is that they lose the relationship between the palate and the tongue. And that's a very, very important relationship because the posture actually opens up your airway, but it also causes the, the magdala to expand. That's yeah. how we get a wide palate, by this relationship between the tongue and the, the roof of the mouth. And if kids don't have that, and I've seen people that don't have that relationship throughout their life, and you suffer chronic disease from it. And I see people that have had braces that have had all this corrected without understanding this, and they suffer from conditions for the rest of their life because their body has never you know, breathed correctly, and they certainly don't do it when they sleep. And these sleep conditions go down a slippery slope to obstructive sleep apnea which is linked to heart disease, to Alzheimer's disease, to dementia. It's a problem of oxygenation because we don't create the right breathing patterns and also autonomic calm to enter into deep sleep. So you're going to feel like you're tired. Your energy is going to be low. You're probably going to put on weight. You're probably going to sleep incorrectly. And it's all a breathing problem and starts from the growth of the face. Yeah. So we in the clinic teach people breathing all day long because... A good belly breath gives us good core stability and good spinal stability. And we often teach people to do it with in and out through the nose and with their tongue against the palate, just like you're talking about like when we do when we're kids. And when you watch a baby learning movement, they will often have their tongue active or on their palate. Can you explain why that is or the process or the pathway for that? The tongue to the palate, so the the palate actually has crucial parasympathetic stimulation via a number of nerves, by a nerve just behind the teeth on mm-hmm. the palate. So if you press just behind the teeth, there is a parasympathetic innovation there. There is parasympathetic innovation to the back of the palate. Now, here's something that a lot of people don't realize is that your tongue should really hit the, the roof of the mouth like a wave, and you should be able to feel the back of the hard palate. If you run your finger on your palate to the back of the throat, you'll feel the, the junction between the hard palate and the soft palate. Mm-hmm. And the back of your tongue should be hitting all of that, including the soft palate. So the back of Whoa. the palate, yeah, yeah, it's high because if, you, if you're underdeveloped, this is what we do in the clinic. If you've got a tie or if you're underdeveloped, it's a long way up. And so then what happens is that there's innovation at the back of the hard palate. So the front of the palate has the palatine innovation. The back of the palate has the vagus and glossopharyngeal. And so that goes into this soft palate and that's all innovated with parasympathetic autonomic innovation and that creates calm and it also starts the digestive system the vagus nerve starts the digestive system so by having that neural calm you're basically kickstarting that's your tool to start the digestive system so so often that people have symptoms and issues with digestive problems because of lack of this relationship now when your tongue is hitting that palate if you think of the tongue it's like a sling hanging off the jaw and mm-hmm. so it actually slings back to the base of the skull, it slings down to the higher bone, and when it's up to the palate, all of that is on. If your tongue's down, it's just all flop and it falls backwards. When your tongue's on, it's like holding all of that space open. So you're creating more airway space to breathe through your nose. So that tongue is designed to hold your oropharyngeal airways open. And for example, if you have swallowed adenoids and tonsils, you might find there's resistance there. And in kids, we find that a lot. Sometimes we need to address the cause of that or sometimes surgery does help. But what you're doing there is you're creating the physical volume to breathe correctly through the nose with neural calm. You breathe deeply into the, into the diaphragm, slow exhale. Then you further activate the parasympathetic pathway and then you feel kind of lightheaded. And that lightheadedness is actually oxygen because you're transferring nitric oxide 
through this deep, slow breath, you're allowing carbon dioxide levels to rise. So you have a, you hold the breath in, carbon dioxide levels rise, and then once they hit a certain point, it will actually throw, cause the junction in the lung to throw oxygen into the blood cells. Now, if you breathe shallowly and quickly, you don't get that rise in carbon dioxide. So biochemically, you're creating this transfer of oxygen through a very deep and slow breath that helps deliver oxygen. So you, you feel kind of lightheaded when you do that, and that's because your brain is actually receiving oxygen. So there's this huge pathway that you set off just by one breath. It's amazing. Yeah. So we have a lot of stressed out New Yorkers in our clinic, yeah. and I'm sure there's people all over the world that just feel overstressed, and we all tell them like super quick tool to put in your own toolbox is to put your tongue on the roof of your mouth an inch behind your teeth-ish and take a breath and try to make your exhale, your breath out twice as long as your inhale. And we try to go for a four count inhale, breath in, and an eight count breath out. And I would say that very few people, when they first lay down on our table, and when we first see them, it's almost like they're like choking for air, like breathing out that long and slow is near impossible just because they come in like so amped up. What are signs of someone being tongue-tied? Because I feel so like maybe some dentists know how to diagnose it, but maybe some don't. I don't know. But how would you know if your baby's tongue-tied? It's a very controversial diagnosis point. So to start with, there's anatomical levels of tie. So you can have a tie that goes right to the tip of the tongue and, and you'll see it and it's like a flap of skin. And so those babies can't lift the tongue off the floor of the mouth. But then, so what happens is you can have a tie that goes back right until under the tongue. It's actually, we call it submucosal. So there can still be a restriction and you actually have to put both of your fingers into the floor of the mouth and push down. And mm -hmm. so there's often a restriction there that we can't see. And so babies will, if you've gone to a doctor or a pediatrician or even a dentist that says there is no tongue tie, I would all find a second opinion because I don't see many kids today that, that have a free tongue and they deal with it differently. And, and this is including the last three generations we find on adults as well. And so we do adult tongue tie release as well because people don't have this relationship and they suffer from it. So a test on yourself is that if you open the jaw as wide as you can go and you try and touch that spot right behind your front teeth, so you open the jaw, and can your tongue reach the, to the roof of the mouth? Now, you're, you're pretty good at it. See, there's not. <laughs> but if you feel, there also, you can swipe the finger and you can do this in your kids. If you feel any kind of catch there, that is a tie. Mm. Okay. Yeah. You might have a little submucosal one there, but your, yours is pretty free. And that's quite rare. I had mine released twice. Twice? So I, I, could, I could not do it. Yeah, because it sometimes, and the depends on the, the surgery. So I did laser and then scissors then it depends on exercise, but sometimes two releases is necessary because it can reattach as well. Right. So would like a baby that's breastfeeding that kind of like dribbles milk out the side, would that be a sign of tongue tie? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Okay. So kids that dribble, so kids that don't swallow well, so kids that have reflux and which is mm. so many kids now on reflux meds and it's because they, if they feed noisily, they're gulping air and their digestive system is full of air and, and they have reflux as a result and then they get reflux meds. They're just not swallowing properly and they're just, what their tongue should do is, is act like a wave up against the roof of the mouth and if you see them pinch their lips when they swallow, so they do that, mm -hmm. that's a tongue thrust swallow. So what they're doing 
is they're trying to create seal at the front of the mouth by doing that. But what should happen is that they should actually swallow without any effort of the lips. The lips should be closed. They shouldn't see any kind of eyes closing or any kind of other muscle movements. You can see this in adults as well. If they're doing a head thrust, if they're a little bit older, that's also a sign they're trying to use gravity to swallow. So those kids are using a tongue thrust swallow instead of moving the tongue like a peristaltic wave action. And what happens is they swallow air and they, they suffer as a result of it. But they're also not developing their palate because they're not posturing that tongue to the roof of the mouth. Right. How about as kids get older and they start to speak? Any sort of lisp? Is that a sign of tongue tying? Yeah, absolutely. So lisps are very common. And so sometimes we see re- instant resolution of lisps when we release the tongue. The THs, Ss, those can be associated with kids are different. I see some kids have really severe ties and deal very well with them. And then others have this tiny little thing at the, and they, they barely lift the tongue. So mm-hmm. everyone's different the way they deal with it. And so that's why diagnosis is so gray because the doctors, you really, for a baby, you have to have an instrument that kind of, you have to really get in there and the, the kids don't like it. You know, they don't like you go in their mouth. So there's a guy in New York, actually, Larry Kotlow, that's really led this conversation for newborns. Nice. Um, yeah. So he's, he's very good. And there's a few actually in New York, there's a lot that understand this. Barry Raphael out in New Jersey is, is one of the leading orthodontists probably in the world in this area. But yeah, I would get a second opinion even if a lot of parents say, oh, they were checked or even if they were released, they often need a second release because you can't get a full release in a newborn. It's impossible. Right. Um, you, you have, have to, to put a baby under like a general anesthesia for that or what are they? <laughs> Honestly, I, you know, it's, a, a, snip, it's, a, it's a quick snip. Yeah, they don't like it, but it's such a thin clap of skin in a new, um, yeah. newborn. It's, I'd say, 10 times less invasive than a circumcision. We often see they feed straight after, so they're a little bit upset. They feed. They can do via laser or scissors. Uh, I genuinely do scissors because I find that it needs to be fast and the really most kids need a, a second release anyway, so, mm-hmm. so we just need to follow up and then we use a laser down the road. Yeah. Let's get back to the dental diet. What are some of your nutrition recommendations to prevent these, this dental disease, this crooked teeth, this poor development of the mouth? You know, we're talking about kids with tongue ties, so their body is hungry for fat-soluble vitamins. And so if they are breastfeeding, then the mother's vitamin D levels, for example, is passed to their child. The, the mother's gut health is passed to the child. Uh, there is a very close connection between breast milk and the development of the teeth, but it provides the raw nutrients. And so that, that's vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin K2. If you're not eating foods rich in vitamin D or vitamin K2 or vitamin A, then you're deficient in them. And especially on the East Coast in winter, you know, you're not going to get a lot of sun, right? So you, you need to know what your vitamin D levels are, especially if you're having kids because you're passing that to your child and that's what the child is using to grow their skeletal system. So yeah. foods rich in those, so grass-raised dairy, if you tolerate dairy, organ meats, broths, egg yolks. These are the foods that are nutrient-dense uh, and they're dense in the fat-soluble vitamins and Price really focused on them. And the reason is because it's only a very small window of foods that provide those nutrients. And so when you understand where they come from, how you source them, how you source them is important. Grain-fed cattle has very little fat-soluble vitamins because the cattle don't see sun and they also don't see grass. Green grass has vitamin K1 in it, the philoquinone. That's converted in the cow to vitamin K2. That's how they convert it. And that's how these fat-soluble vitamins are basically transferred to the active form vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin K2, they're converted in animal 
foods. So you can't get these fat soluble vitamins from vegetable sources. So vegetarians and vegans need to know that and they should be supplementing if they are on these diets because you it's just that's a physiological you know part of this. You know, B12 you can't get from vegetables and or plants. So we need to know that these foods come from animal foods. And so understanding that, then you you must integrate them into your diet. Yeah. I also feel like the big source organ meats that you mentioned, like I don't find those anywhere anymore. <laughs> you have to look and they're the most nutrient dense food on the planet. You know, from a grass raised animal, that's exactly where there's actually a story that Price talks about in Africa where he was watching on safari uh, lions hunting during times where there's lots of zebras, you know, there's the grasslands just full of them. And what they do, they would make a kill and they'd actually just go in and, and eat the liver and then leave the muscle meat for the hyenas because there's so many around, like don't waste your time with it. And, you know, lean breast meat is that part of the animal. And so you don't get any very little of the nutrient that you get from organ meats. And you're right, it's hard to get. And, and this is a complete reshape, rethink we need to have on our food supply and how and your own kind of you know how you feed yourself and your family because these foods uh, have been a part of our diet for millennia and we've just thrown them out and we're suffering the, uh, the consequences. How early do you start intervention? So let's say you see a young kid and their teeth are really tight and maybe they still only have their baby teeth. Are you already talking about certain habits and breathing habits and nutrition with the mother? Like how early is ideal to kind of make these nutritional recommendations? Six months before they were conceived. <laughs> Prenatal nutrition is critically important for the mother. As soon as the kid's born, we need to understand how they're using their tongue, how they're feeding. They, do they need a release, a lip release, a, a tongue release? There are often oral restric- restrictions there that are, as we said, preventing this breathing. So kids should never be open mouthed. You should always be closing your baby's lips. So this is well before teeth come in. So all of this starts from the newborn level. And this is what's so important about this is that we can intervene in this whole process. Then as a kid gets their baby teeth, you should see baby teeth should fold over each other like that. If you see a deep bite, for instance, that often can indicate mouth breathing. If you're seeing crookedness of the kid's teeth, you should be thinking there's a functional and nutritional issue there. And just by doing orthodontic, a chewing device, that can correct a child dentition by just the, the forces of chewing. So kids need to chew. That needs to be built in six to 12 months into their transition into solids. Purees aren't the go. They should be chewing. They should be using their jaw. It's a muscle. It's a musculoskeletal system that needs to grow and you need to send the physical messages there in order for that to happen, just like going to the gym. So they shouldn't be sucking on those little pouches that everyone gives their kid these days. <laughs> The sucking issues do create problems and a lot of kids do that because they don't have the relationship between the tongue and the palate. If you have that tongue and palate relationship, you don't have the urge to suck. And so I feel that that's kind of a, you know, kids will have a, a sucking response, you know, obviously between two to six to eight months, but yeah. they shouldn't have it for much longer than that. So pulling your kids away from the sucking, anything that's interfering with lip seal, so they should just be sealed lip. It's very, very important to establish early in a child and parents really are the ones who convey this because you can remind your kid 10 times a day to breathe through the nose and it's, you can't give them any more valuable advice than that. Like it's so important. Right. 
So that's like how early, right? Six months before <laughs> they're conceived. How late into their years do you work with people and they make nutritional recommendations and you start to see changes in maybe their teeth well, or in their breathing patterns? We see people in the 60s and 70s now who were doing oh, this. And the thing is then is that the growth phases have stopped. So by the time you're 12, usually the adult teeth are all coming in. But the maxilla has the ability to grow right throughout your life. In the teen years, we can intervene this faster because there's more growth, there's more malleability. But we can expand people. And there's a guy doing this in New York who's amazing too. They use a system called the Homeo Block. And what you do is you expand, and this is what we do in our clinic as well, we expand the maxilla. You change the face of people and you, you also help them to get that relationship between the tongue and the palate. And then you you're healing what? their sleep apnea and probably exactly. their brain fog. That's yeah. exactly right. So they, they begin, they're like, oh my God, I can breathe. So all, all of the sudden, they start to get this relationship between the, the tongue, the roof of the mouth. And this is a big one is the people on CPAP machines. The amount of people you see now on CPAP machines is unbelievable. That's a breathing machine, literally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they've got no solution besides the CPAP. It's, it's crazy. We're about hoping next year to build a big campaign around that, that people should be coming off CPAP machines and learning to breathe. It's ridiculous that we have you know this kind of one-way treatment focused um, option for people yeah yeah where can people find you you're such a wealth of information and knowledge i love it and you're talking about stuff you know so many people talk about the gut microbiome but the mouth health and the mouth microbiome i feel like is this maybe new and up and coming topic that more people should be knowing about the research is, you know, all of this has been there. It's, it's just been very kind of disparate. And really, like, I, I owe it all to Weston A. Price, honestly. Like, his book was just such a, you know, really cracked my calcified way of looking at the world. Once you open the floodgate, it's crazy how much is there and how powerful the mouth is. Yeah, so my website, www.drstephenlin.com, and in social media, we share a lot of functional oral health tips there. My clinic, luminousdentistry.com.au. We're really forwarding this information. It's really, I think, important for people to know that at whatever age your kids are or you are, then it's important to know this stuff because it's so critical to physiology. And even if you're just optimizing your health, you know, I really encourage people to look down this road because it's so powerful what you can do. Yeah. We tell people you do nothing more in your day than breathe. You breathe 20 to 25,000 times a day more than anything else. So get that right and everything else will fall in place. Thank you so much for being on. I love it. I love the information that you're sharing. And we'll drop all of those resources in the show notes. Thanks, Emily. It was a pleasure. How great was Dr. Stephen Lin? I'm totally going to start holding my tongue on the roof of my mouth like a wave to breathe, to calm my nervous system, to calm any anxiety. He's such a wealth of information. Go check out his book, The Dental Diet. It's a great read, super easy, accessible. And for anyone that has kids, super applicable. Like every parent should be reading this book so that we can avoid braces for our kids down the road and to really be feeding them the proper nutrition. If you feel like muscle medicine is adding value, go to iTunes, rate and review. Can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about this episode and see you next week.